0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net. It's good to be back. My family's had this horrible bout of illness, but it's good to be back at church with God's people. And just a reminder too, so last week we were going to have this intro to membership time, uh, because I was sick we had to put it off. So it is this week, it's today. So if you're looking at finding out about membership, you want to find out what that involves. Just want to even find out what the vision and values of Grace Church are, what's the heartbeat of Grace Church. We're going to be moseying on down the curry mile after church and we'll get some lunch on the curry mile and we'll meet at the Alexandra Library and we'll take an hour and a half probably and we'll look together at what Grace Church membership is all about so if you're interested in that love you to come along there's no obligation from that to becoming a member Uh, you can do what you want after that but at least you'll understand so you're very welcome hope to see some of you there so today we're talking about uh, a topic now it's not ideal always to talk about a topic but sometimes it's good to throw one in Uh, and today the topic is the beauty of God Mike Tindall and I thought this might be something good to talk about we're looking at scripture on the beauty of God. Seems like an interesting topic. What do you think? Is, that, is this just some sort of side novelty theological point? Or is it actually important? What would you say? What's beauty got to do with? Beauty's got to do with what we find compelling. It's got to do with our appetites and our affections, doesn't it? What we delight in, what we find satisfying. What is it that draws your heart? What is it that you find beautiful or compelling or satisfying? Do you think that's an important thing? Does it have a big implication on your life? Well, consider this song. This is a famous song. You probably know it. Uh, And it says, it's when a man loves a woman. This is what he says, okay? If I was Mike, I would sing it, but I'm not Mike. So he says this, when a man loves a woman... Can't keep his mind on nothing else. He'll trade the world for the good thing he's found. If she's bad, he can't see it. She can do no wrong. Turn his back on his best friend if he put her down. When a man loves a woman, spend his very last dime trying to hold on to what he needs. He'd give up all his comfort, sleep out in the rain if she said that's the way it ought to be. Well, this man loves a woman. I gave you everything I had trying to hold on to your precious love. So, the things we love, the things we find beautiful, actually have the power to grip and pull our entire lives in a certain direction. Our affections actually drive us, our affections actually determine and influence the whole course of our lives. So, I'll ask you again what do you find beautiful? What do you find most beautiful? What do you find most compelling? Because that thing has great power to pull you in your life and determine your decisions and determine what you pursue. So actually, the beauty of God is really central in the Christian life. It has the power to grip your motivations. If you want to understand where motivations come from in the Christian life, it's really getting a grasp of the beauty of God. It'll influence our decisions, it'll change our priorities. So this is really important stuff. Do you see God as surpassingly beautiful? If the answer is no, then I would suggest probably, I would guess, that there's going to be some degree of struggle of motivation in the Christian life for you. Conversely, if you do see God as compellingly beautiful then actually it's going to be real fruit and real joy in your life. So actually, whether you see God as beautiful or not makes a massive difference. Biggest, big idea today is this. Our greatest and most desperate need is to see God as he is. To see him as surpassingly beautiful. That's our greatest need. Uh, what is it you need the most? Is it a change of circumstances? Think about what is it that is going to make you happy right now in your life? Is it a change of circumstances somehow, a change in relationships, a change in your financial situation, a change in your plans, a change in your personality maybe, Uh, a change in your appearance? What the Bible says is what you need is a change of heart and that comes from a change of view. What you need is a change of view. You and I need to see the glory of God for who he is. Actually, that will radically thrill us and change us. We need something far more captivating and eternally satisfying. And so we do need to see the beauty of God. Here's our outline today. Uh, Three points. First one, created for beauty. And then distorted appetites. And you are what you behold. So that's the three things we're going to talk about today Created for beauty. Uh, my family, have we've booked a, a holiday in Scotland again. We liked it last year. We'll go to a different place. But I've started fantasizing about a certain day I want to have in Scotland where we, hopefully we're about three hours away from the Isle of Skye and I want to go to the Isle of Skye. I'll put a picture up. Now, it's a, it looks like a magnificently beautiful place. Now, I'm already planning on how I might. Hopefully, if the kids are up to it, we would take the whole family across. Three hours there, maybe four, and the same distance back again from where we're staying. Why do I want to do that so much? The only reason is beauty. The only reason is I want to see this beauty with my own eyes. I want to go there and see it. Beauty is a big thing. Where does this appetite for beauty come from? You know, we all have it. We all have this insatiable appetite for beauty. We're always pursuing it in some way. We're always longing for beauty and appreciating beauty. You know, we're created to be profoundly aesthetic beings. We love beauty. We're created to take delight in things. That's why we're always saying things like this. You probably did this morning in some way. That meal was delightful. That woman is lovely. That goal was amazing. That car is magnificent. That book is fantastic. That place is awesome. That sunset is sublime. We're created to just delight in beauty. It's good. It's actually a core part of what it is to be human. You know, we're not just minds and we're not just doers. We're actually created to be worshippers, we're created to be thrilled and captivated. We're created to be pleasure seekers. We're created to pursue beauty. And so we're looking at Psalm 36 a little bit today. And, you know, there's so, it's like just, you know, pick a psalm and, and, and go with it. It's, it's, it's that kind of thing, the beauty of God in Scripture, because it's all over the place. But we, we'll hopefully just let the part tell the whole here and look at Psalm 36 and just draw a few observations out of this psalm about the beauty of God. And what we see in this psalm is that we were created with this appetite so much bigger than the things in this world that can satisfy. We're created to delight in God himself. Now, let's look at verses 5 to 9 here in Psalm 36. Now, as we read, just consider how beautiful and all-satisfying God is in this psalm. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies, your righteousness is like the highest mountain, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights, for with you is the fountain of life in your light We see light. These words, David is grasping for words to describe the vastness of God in all his perfections, all his attributes, all his characteristics. And he can't do it. He he thinks about the biggest things he can possibly imagine, the mountains or the vast ocean. And it's not adequate for him to, to capture how wonderful God's infinite beauty is. Think about the attributes he describes here. There's a few, isn't there? His love, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his justice, all of them are just beyond his comprehension, just beyond his ability to describe. And we could go on with all God's attributes, couldn't we? His goodness, his mercy, his wisdom, all of them actually are for us to delight in for an eternity. God is infinitely beautiful. That's why heaven will never get boring. Because God in all of his attributes will take an eternity to enjoy. He's infinitely beautiful. Think about those mighty angelic beings in Revelation. And they circle around the throne. And day and night they never, they're constantly around him. And they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's no one like God. They never get bored of worshipping him in all his beauty. So we're created to be swept up in the infinite beauty of God. You know, God didn't need to create us. He actually was perfectly beautiful within himself before he created the world. And within the Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, he delighted in himself before eternity passed. And he actually made us, not because he needed us, but for us to share in his beauty and his glory and to be swept up in eternal enjoyment of it. Now look at the words that David uses in this psalm to describe God's worth. Verse 7, his unfailing love is priceless. His experience of God is a feast of abundance. Look at verse 8, we feast on the abundance of his house and knowing him is like drinking from a river of delights. Now this is actually really important to what knowing God and worshipping God is all about. It's not just agreeing with our minds and it's not just serving God with our hands. We're actually created to delight in God with our whole being. We're to embrace him with our affections. So uh, often theologians talk about you know us being mind and will and affections as well. And actually our affections are a really critical part of our worship of God and how we're to live. Anyone who tells you that in the Christian life you're to suppress your affections and you're to sort of put them aside is absolutely wrong. We're created to absolutely embrace and delight in God with all our affection, to be satisfied in him, to have him as our first love. You know what glorifies God most in your life is when you treasure him above all else. John Piper, it's his, real, it's his catchphrase. He says, if you've read any of John Piper, he says it all the time. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him, that that's what brings him the most glory. Think about the greatest commandment God gave us what is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your minds and with all your strength. Have you ever stopped to think about how unusual that command is? What kind of king would command you to love him with your whole being? It's odd, isn't it? It makes sense for a king to command for, for someone to serve him to honour him, but to love him with our whole being. What kind of command is that? Only a king, only a God who is incredibly beautiful, infinitely beautiful, is right to command that. Actually, that command makes perfect sense because God is pointing us to the infinite satisfaction and delight in him. So here's an important point. is true faith, being born again, it's not just about repenting. It's not just about repenting and believing. It's not just about acknowledging that God is true. Actually, genuine saving faith will create a treasure in our hearts for God that we will love Him and embrace Him as our treasure and reward. And it was really cool that, uh, that this Isaiah 55 verse, and we'll put it up here, was read out before. Because I'm going to read the first couple of verses again. And here's God's command to come. Why does God command us to come? Not out of duty. But think about why he commands us to come. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live So God's command for us to come to him is actually a command to come and be satisfied. That's the good news of the gospel is that God calls us to him to be satisfied. Now, one important error uh, that we need to highlight here and that the beauty of God completely rules out is this idea of serving God out of duty. The The idea of the beauty of God completely drives it out. How so? I wonder if you've ever thought about the Christian life that way that it's actually about what we should do it's actually about doing the right thing it's about doing our moral duty serving God because you should actually what difference does the beauty of God make to this idea it completely destroys it let's say if you're a coffee lover okay you, you love your coffee no one has to tell you to go and pursue a good cup of coffee in the morning. No one has to tell you that it's a drudgery thing to keep the cupboard stocked with coffee. There's no sense of drudgery in a great cup of coffee, is there? The things that we delight in, actually, there's no sense of duty at all. We do it because we want to. We delight in those things. There's no sense of sacrifice in Psalm 36. It's an abundant feast to worship God. It's drinking from a river of delights. And so if we know God rightly... Actually, we're always the receivers, and God is the giver. So Hudson Taylor could say, I think this is attributed to Hudson Taylor, some attributed to David Livingstone, but he said, I never made a sacrifice after all my service in foreign, serving the Lord in a foreign country. I never made a sacrifice. Why? Because actually every command of God is for our delight. He's surpassingly beautiful. So that drives out this sense of duty completely. If we see God for who he is, And actually, there's no more duty in the Christian life. It turns worship into an invitation to delight. It's a feast. Worship is a feast. So God calls us and commands us to pursue our joy. That's good news. All right, distorted appetites, our second point here. When I was a child, I couldn't understand at Pizza Hut why the adults liked the pizza that they did. I couldn't understand why they liked supreme pizza and I couldn't understand why they would sprinkle this horrible, vomit-smelling cheese on their pizza. I really honestly thought that adults were trying to be miserable. Now, having grown up and my taste buds have changed, I, that's the kind of pizza I like. And I even like a few anchovies as well. Uh, now, it's not really a, a, a corrupt taste, is it? It's just a different taste. But I've never met anyone who enjoys rotten food. I've never met anyone who enjoys uh, food that you know, is, is foul and riddled with uh, bacteria or mold or whatever else. But actually, in the case of our hearts, the problem of sin is that our appetites are actually distorted. It's not a problem of different tastes. Sin has actually corrupted our appetite for God's beauty. This is a great tragedy. It's a desperately uh, miserable situation to be in. Is actually in the state of our sin. We no longer see God as surpassingly beautiful. We no longer desire him as beautiful. Our enormous appetite for his beauty is given to other things. Have a look at verses 1 and 2 here. And you'll see that there's one of two things we have before our eyes. There's always something in our field of view. Everybody worships something. Everybody is hungering after something. Everyone's got, we've all got something in our field of view. And Jesus said, didn't he, no one serves two masters. We either love the one and hate the other, or we are devoted to the one and despise the other. Actually, in our hearts, we're always worshipping something. But there's two things before our eyes that are possible to have before our eyes in verses 1 and 2 here. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. So we're created to have this magnificent view of the beauty of God before our eyes. And what this psalm is saying is if we don't have that view, Of the fear of God or uh, the fear of God is just another way of saying uh, we hold him in awe. it's a positive thing it's a good thing in the it's the term used in the Old Testament a high regard for God a love for him a reverence for him an honour of him Uh, we hold him in majesty and high esteem it's a view of his beauty now either we have that big view of God before us or Actually, we have a big view of what? What does it say in verse 2? In our own eyes, we then flatter ourselves. So actually, we've either got a huge view of God in our field of view or we've got a big view of self. So the problem is with sin is that it removes this appetite and this hunger for God's beauty and it replaces it with a large view of ourselves. Actually, we're created with this enormous appetite like we said, but sin replaces that appetite for God and reduces it down to this desire for ourselves and our own conveniences and our own little world so our, our this appetite that's huge so to be satisfied only in this god whose love is greater than the highest mountains is reduced down to this little size of ourselves so our world becomes about us and our material comforts and about our reputation and about uh, whatever else it is that we're seeking we we become self-centered people and we become blind to God's beauty and notice what the uh, what the effect of that is on our view of sin in verse 2 in our own eyes we flatter ourselves too much to detect or hate our sin so this is the problem of a fallen nature is that actually once you lose a view of the, the fear of God the beauty of God sin actually loses its its seriousness anymore we don't even notice it We no longer detect or hate sin. Our hearts become dull. We forget what's truly precious. So actually, this is a disaster. Sin completely removes our appetite for the beauty of God. Now, we're often led to believe that the problem of sin is that we've got an excess of passion. We've got too much passion and that we need to suppress it, that the godly thing is to detach from our passion. The reality actually is the opposite. The problem with your sin is not that you are too passionate. The problem is that you're not passionate enough about what you need to be. That sin actually deadens our appetite for this infinite beauty we find in God. And you might have come across this quote before by C.S. Lewis. It's so helpful. I'm going to read it out here. And he says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We're like ignorant children who want to continue making mud pies in a slum because we can't imagine what is meant by an offer of a vacation at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. The problem of sin is that we no longer desire the truly beautiful thing. We're satisfied with rubbish. We're satisfied with the beauty in this created world only. It's like a person at the edge of the Grand Canyon, um, this sweeping view of glory before them, and actually they're preoccupied on their mobile phone with some Facebook post or an email or something. That's what sin is like. We completely miss the whole point, which is to be wrapped up in the beauty of God. And actually understanding this, very practical point. How is it that we fight sin? What is the most effective way to pursue change in holiness in the Christian life? Actually, the beauty of God answers the question. How is it that we often try and address sin struggles in our life? Maybe you've got a struggle with addiction to entertainment or anger or discontentment or worry or lust or fear or pride or obsession with your appearance Or love of money, or self-pity, or self-hatred, or self-reliance, or insecurity. Whatever your struggle is, often we try and deal with that thing by just trying to suppress it. But actually, what does the beauty of God speak to this? What we need is not to suppress that sin, but to replace that desire with something far more glorious. The need we have is not to minimise it, but to replace it. What we need is that view of the fear of God before our eyes again. We need it to be captured again by the beauty of God. So actually, the best way to fight sin is not to try and fight it in a vacuum and and, and minimise the desire for that thing, but to replace it with a view of the beauty of God. I used to spend a lot of time pulling out weeds in my garden in Australia where it's a lot drier and the grass doesn't grow as well. And what I found was that the weeds were growing most prolifically. They were nasty weeds and I had to pull them out because the kids would run on the lawn and there'd be these little thorny jacks in them that would stick in your feet. They were nasty things. So I'd spend time pulling out these bindi weeds and I realised that the weeds were growing most prolifically where the grass wasn't growing. And I realised that the best way to combat the weeds wasn't just to keep pulling them out but actually to plant as much grass as I could to replace... Uh, the absence of grass, with grass, and that combated the weeds in the best way. And so it comes to fighting sin in our lives too. The best way to overcome sin in your life is to replace that desire with a fresh view of the, and be captivated by the beauty of God once again. That's a powerful, practical uh, truth that we can uh, apply. Now, last point here, you become what you behold. We're told that we are what we eat, not literally, of course, but figuratively. If you uh, eat healthy, your body will probably be healthy. You give your body the best chance to be healthy. If you live on potato crisps, you probably won't be. It's actually true in our minds as well, isn't it? Uh, you really are what you read, or you are what you take in with your minds. If you read really good books, it cultivates your imagination, cultivates your mind, it improves your mind. If you sit in front of the telly watching mindless stuff, then your mind will be dulled. The same thing is true with our souls and our appetites for beauty. The same thing is true, same physically, same mentally, it's the same with our whole being. Our affections and what we love are influenced by what we take in. This is really important. What are you taking in? What do you take in in your free time? What is it that you're feeding your soul? Because this has a massive impact on what kind of person you will become and where your affections will go. What is it you spend most of your free time absorbing? Is it Facebook? Is it BBC sport? Is it movies? Now, none of those things are wrong. But my question here is, what are we feeding our minds? Because that's going to set us on a trajectory and actually determine what we have an appetite for, what we're passionate about. And because our hearts are prone to sin, the problem is that our tendency of God is to reduce, the wickedness of our sin reduces this vast view of God and enlarges our view of self. And so our appetites are deceptive and deceitful. We need to fight for a view of the beauty of God every day. We need to fight for it. Are you fighting for that view of the beauty of God? Are you trying to cultivate an appetite for him and his character? Psalm 27.4, David says this, "'One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, "'that I may dwell in the house of the Lord.'" all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David's appetite was to seek God and see him as he is. That needs to be our appetite too. How do we do this? Just our last main section of this talk now. How do we do this? Well, obviously we can't see God's beauty physically. It's with eyes of faith. Faith is like eyes that enable us to See and grasp and take hold of spiritual realities. We need to have our faith strengthened again. And I've got two ways here we can do this. One is, and actually I'll give you three. I was thinking this morning there is a third way. One is enjoying God's beauty in creation. is actually an important way to cultivate our appetite for God's beauty. Second one, in beholding the beauty of Christ in the gospel, especially that. A third way is actually in the community of God's people we see Christ and we see the beauty of Christ in the way he changes lives by the Holy Spirit and we experience Christ in community with one another as well. Those three ways, so enjoying God's beauty in creation, beholding the beauty of Christ in the gospel and actually beholding the beauty of Christ in community with God's people. So just talk about these first two, enjoying God's beauty in creation. It is true. we're to find delight we do find delight in God's created world and that's a good thing it's never a bad thing to delight in God's created world the problem is when we end the quest there when we're satisfied with that when we stop the quest at this point and we don't hunger for God's beauty but we're satisfied with what we see around us like the mud pies in the slum that Lewis talks about actually The right response is to take these things you delight in and to use them as a pointer to the beauty of God. So think about the things you delight in this world. A beautiful piece of music, um, a beautiful meal, the love of your spouse, a magnificent sunset, a skillful goal in football. Enjoy those things and then actually use that as a pointer to the source of all of that delight, which is God himself. You can use that as, if you like, a call to worship. We're to follow that, that ray of light back to the blazing sun of God's glory where it came from. Imagine you're a prospector in search of gold and you're panning for gold in a river and you find gold dust in a river. Now, if you're a smart prospector, you won't just stop there. You won't just be satisfied with a little bit of gold dust from the river. If you're smart, you'll follow the stream upstream to find the mother load of gold, hopefully, somewhere further up in the mountains somewhere. That's what we're to do. Not to be satisfied with the the small delights of this created world, but to follow that path back to the creator, the infinite source of delight, which is God himself. So it is healthy to enjoy the beauty of created things. And actually, it's a dangerous sign when we've lost our appetite and enjoyment for beauty. So we do need to cultivate this in ways like getting outside for a walk or reading a good book or listening to good music, all these things cultivate our appetite for beauty. Our affections are good things. But most importantly, we need to take in God's word. Are you beholding the beauty of God in the word? If there's one big kind of application here, it's to fight for a view of God's beauty in the gospel every day. We need it. We need to take it in every day. Now think about those attributes of God in Psalm 36 again. His love that reaches to the heavens. His faithfulness that stretches to the skies. His justice that's like a, a mighty mountain. His righteousness that's like the great deep. Um, where do we see these displayed in the scriptures? Isn't it in the cross of Jesus Christ? Isn't it in the salvation that he has won for us? We sung about it before. Here is love vast as the ocean. Love and kindness as the flood where the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. We see his love in the gospel. We see his faithfulness. We see his righteousness. We see his justice meted out against sin. All of it in the cross. We see God's beauty in his son, Jesus Christ. Have a look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. It says that, Actually, this is how God overcame sin, is he gave us this new appetite. And with eyes of faith, he gave us, he revealed the beauty of Christ to us in the gospel. God made his light shine in our hearts to give us light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So when we come to Christ, our eyes are open to see the beauty of God in his face. But think about a few verses back, it talks about what happens when we gaze upon the beauty of Christ. Have a look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is what happens when we gaze upon the beauty of Christ. We all, who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. So the more you behold the beauty of Christ, what happens? You become like that which you behold. You actually become more like Christ. You love what he loves. You begin to reflect his love in the world and his faithfulness and his righteousness and his justice. You love those things and you become, you become a reflector of those things in a more powerful way. So it's actually not just urgent for you that you take in the beauty of Christ in the gospel every day. It's urgent for this world. How is the world going to see the beauty of Christ? It's actually when they see people who are captured by the beauty of Christ and being transformed into his likeness every day. What a powerful thing. What a powerful opportunity we have as a church to be this community of light that's reflecting the beauty of Christ in this city around us. That's an exciting thing. So actually fighting to behold the beauty of God is a desperate need for us. So my prayer today is it will be people who hunger after God's beauty, who will actually encourage one another to pursue the beauty of Christ in the gospel. So are you taking in the word? Not just when you feel like it, because your appetites are deceptive, but even when you don't feel like it, to cultivate this appetite for the beauty of Christ again. Let's, uh, let's pray that the Lord will make us these kinds of people who really behold and hunger after the beauty of God. Let's pray. Lord, we just uh, pause to think about another psalm, Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, My lips will glorify you. I will praise you, O God, as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Lord, you are the lover of our souls. We're created to be swept up in your love and in your uh, glory Uh, Lord, we we long to behold your glory more. We would be changed people. Lord, forgive us that we have followed our sinful appetites to look for satisfaction and beauty in this created world and be content with that. And your word calls that evil, forsaking the spring of living water to dig out these broken cisterns that can't hold water. Forgive us. Uh, Lord, thank you for revealing your beauty in the face of Christ in the gospel. Thanks that you have opened the eyes of people who had dead hearts, uh, like these hearts in Psalm 36, that had no fear of you, but you opened our eyes to see your beauty. We just praise you for that indescribable gift and ask, Lord, that we would pursue you, that we would know you, that our worship of you would be more passionate, more single-minded, that you would be, your beauty would be, the, the one thing we seek after, that everything else would be as rubbish in comparison. And so, Lord, uh, may we encourage one another and point each other to your beauty in the gospel. Lord, make us be people who are, who are satisfied with seeing your likeness. And may we be worshippers as you've created and redeemed us to be. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www gracechurchmanchester.net